And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast, investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show today, as always. We have a lot to talk about. First off, we'll start by a couple days ago. We had Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to the dads out there. We're grateful for you. There's nothing better than, uh, in my opinion, than, than being uh, a parent, being a dad. Love the opportunity and the role that I get to play uh, with my kids. And uh, man, what a blessing. Had a great weekend spending time with, with, of course, my family. Saturday took my son to a gun show, walked around and enjoyed that. And then Sunday did all the Father's Day stuff. Uh, and yeah, we, you know, I grilled. So check. Uh, I made homemade pizza. Check. I went for a walk, check. I split wood, check. Just all the things. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, we watched Walker, Texas Ranger. Obviously, that's the uh, one of the manliest things you can do. And uh, then we sat down and watched as a family. We watched Heartland, which if you haven't found Heartland, uh, it's based out of Canada. Don't hold that against them. It is uh, man. It's just a great show, and it's got a lot of seasons. And we we try to watch at least one episode as a family. A night and it's just good clean uh, fun it's based on a ranch and, and highly recommend it uh, to families it's a great show so far I haven't got you know on in deep into the season so you know if you're on into season 14 or something and you're like I can't believe Andrew recommended that well I'm not there yet so if it goes south believe me uh, I will I will say as such but today what I want to talk about and we talked about this uh we talk about this a lot, but but language matters, and what we're starting to see is a pivot. We're starting to see a pivot when it comes to uh, when it comes to the abortion industry, when it comes to Planned Parenthood, when it comes to NARAL, when it comes to the lobbyist organizations for abortion. We're seeing this pivot, and and I, it's interesting. I'm trying to figure out is this pivot happening because Roe was overturned. Is this pivot happening because we're, we're seeing identity erased, as we talked about uh, in the past when it comes to gender and, and uh, sex and, and gender roles? Or is this pivot happening because they see they're losing ground? And, and I'm trying my best to analyze and see exactly why these, these pivots are happening. But it's interesting when you, when you look at Planned Parenthood social media, because what they tweeted the other day, and this is so, like, like if you'd have asked me a year ago, six months ago, what direction do you think the abortion industry is going to go? Now, I've been saying that they are pivoting to offering more uh, hormone and transitional services, and, and I'm not going to call it, again, I'm not calling it gender-affirming care because, again, that's not what it is. That is not what it is. That's what they want you to say that it is, because that sounds nice, and that sounds like we need it because it's about care, but, but we're not going to call it that because what it is is it's, it's puberty blockers, it's gender mutilation for boys and girls, and, and we're not going to call it gender-affirming care because that, that is certainly not what it is. They're not just simply sitting down with somebody and talking through it. They are providing surgeries. They're providing hormone blockers. They're, they're doing things that are altering people forever, forever. So the abortion industry is in the business of making dis forever decisions. 
What do I mean by that? Having an abortion is a forever decision. Right? So you were pregnant, now you're not pregnant. This isn't a natural miscarriage. This isn't an ectopic pregnancy. No, no, this is saying I was pregnant and now I'm not pregnant. I changed that. That is a forever decision. The same thing with puberty blockers. The same thing with uh, transition surgeries. These are forever decisions. Well, now they're tweeting out things like this. Labeling abortion as only, quote, women's rights or, quote, women's issues erases the experiences and identities of queer, non-binary, and trans folks who also have abortion and downplays the additional barriers they face when accessing care. Abortion access affects us all, period. Can you believe we are living in a time where the abortion industry is, is chastising us, chastising the populace, for saying that abortion is a woman's issue. Now, I have said for a very long time that abortion is not simply a woman's issue. It's a man's issue. It's a gospel issue. It's, a, it's an American issue. This is a, a, a people issue because abortion is taking the life of innocent human beings. But, but what I've always been told, what I've been told by politicians, what I've been told by abortion lobbyists and abortion activists— is this is a woman's issue. Matter of fact, when I went to Washington, D.C. and stood on the steps of the Supreme Court a few years back at, at a rally to speak on behalf of pregnancy centers, and while I was speaking from the microphone, there were abortion activists right next to us. They also had a microphone. While I was speaking, they were yelling and screaming obscenities and, and yelling things at me and saying, Listen, that man speaking over there, this is not a man's issue. This is a woman's issue. When they had the women's march, what was that for? That was to tout that this was a woman's issue. That abortion is a women's issue. We were told when Roe was overturned that this is setting women back. So, so literally, up until a year ago, this was a woman's issue to the abortion, to, to the abortion lobbyists, to the left. This was a woman's issue. And now they're saying things like, how dare you say it's about women's rights or that this is a woman's issue? That erases the other people that are having abortions because apparently in their twisted mind, anybody can get pregnant. You, you don't have to be a woman. But it's interesting to me that that is the direction that they are going with their language. Why would they go that direction? Now, again, you could look at it and go, well, they're going that direction. Some would say they're going that direction because they, uh, they believe, <laughs> they believe that, that men can actually have babies, which, which is, you know, laughable. Some could say they're going that direction because they feel like they're losing ground and losing footing. And <clears throat> some could say they're, they're going this direction and they're making this pivot because they're seeing the landscape across the country. They're seeing states around the country start to ban, restrict, and, and outlaw gender mutilation, hormone blockers, 
on minors. We've, we've seen that in our state. We saw Vanderbilt just the other day. They're, they're no longer providing that service because the state has done something about it. States across the country are doing this, rightfully so. And so some could say they see this as an opportunity, again, to, to gain support from a swath of folks. But some would argue from a swath of folks that weren't supporting them to begin with. But the reality is these mindsets are all from the left. And so it's not as if these folks weren't already supporting the abortion industry. They, they were, so there's a lot of overlap here. But, but again, we're, we're at a place where you, how far left can you go? How far left can you go? I mean, I was having a conversation the other day with someone and I, I just said, you know, it, it almost makes you long for a, a Democrat politician from the past that, that although I might have disagreed with on a number of different things, that they just seemed sane and rational. But... But you can't read, you can't read this. Labeling abortion as only, quote, women's rights or a women's issue erases the experiences and identities of queer, non-binary, trans folks who also have abortions and downplays the additional barriers they face when accessing care. You can't read that and go, well, that's a sane position. You, you just can't. Somebody commented and said, it was you who said it was a women's rights and women's issue for decades. Most recently, you've been the main sponsor of the Women's March. I mean, this, this is, we are, again, <laughs> erasing identity. It is, it is baffling to me. And again, I've said this before, far be it for me to take up for Margaret Sanger. But I believe Margaret Sanger is even rolling over in her grave saying, well, well, hold on, this isn't a woman's issue? There are feminists in the grave that are going, this is not what I fall for, the erasure of women. Like we're erasing women altogether. So what was the women's march is now going to be called what? The, the non-men march or the people march? We are erasing identity. We are erasing women. I mean, it, it, it's baffling to me that, that they can say these things as if the internet doesn't exist, as if all their posts and all their writings and all their press conferences and all their meetings with presidents and all their political action actions never happened. I mean, they didn't allow Abby Johnson to and then there were none, that organization, to sponsor the Women's March because they were pro-life. But, but all throughout the speeches at the Women's March, they were saying this is a woman's issue. This is about women's rights. You've heard politicians say, if we overturn Roe, we are setting women back decades well, they've already pivoted from that. Well, this, this isn't a woman's issue. So now they're opening it up and saying that this is not a woman's issue, that this is a people issue. Uh, what is it exactly? Now, in some ways, this is positioning 
us to a place where even pro-lifers can go, hey, it's funny you say that. Because we've been arguing since the beginning that this wasn't just a sole women's issue. This is a, a woman issue and a man issue that post-aborted men and women are affected. That, that this is a gospel issue, that this is a, a cultural issue. So in some ways, now we're at a place where, where they can't tell me because I'm a man to shut up because when, when now you're telling me this isn't a woman's issue, so, I mean, I guess I can speak into it, right? But it is baffling to me that they say these things with a straight face, and then the left in the abortion industry just well, of course, of course, this isn't just a woman's issue. I mean, how silly is this? That for decades, that's all we heard. When I got into this work, that's all I heard from pro-aborts was, well, you're, you're a man, you have no say in the matter. And now, I mean, if, if I'm a woman, if I were a woman and I've been fighting for these rights for this long, and, and I've been saying that this is a woman's right, and I've been arguing for my place in society. And then the very folks that felt like they, they were the ones giving me the platform then come out and say, well, well, hold on, this isn't a woman's issue. I mean, wouldn't you feel betrayed? I feel betrayed when pro-life politicians throw pro-lifers under the bus. So in the same way, wouldn't these folks feel betrayed by a Planned Parenthood or a NARAL? I mean, would, would, you, would you not feel betrayed? Speaking of NARAL, they, they came out and said, gender-affirming care, again, that's nonsense language, but they came out and said, gender-affirming care is reproductive freedom. They tweeted that multiple times. Gender-affirming care is reproductive freedom. The reality is, it's the opposite of that. Their goal is erasing identity, erasing pregnancy, erasing maleship, erasing femaleship, erasing parenthood, erasing family. And guess what? You do that and culture can't sustain. Society can't sustain. We talked about infer infertility rates last week. That is a non-winner position. So we have an opportunity as pro-lifers to point people to the truth and to point people to, frankly, sanity. And Lord knows we need sanity right now in our culture. We'll be back. All right, now I want to shift a little bit because I want to look at some data that recently came out, some numbers that came out from 538. 538 is a polling, uh, I guess, polling website. They, they look at political uh, data points when it comes to elections. They do a lot of pontificating and, and, uh, and estimates and, and predictions when it comes to who's going to win this seat and that seat and who's going to win president. But they also look at numbers when it comes to just data in, in general. In this particular one, they're looking at abortion numbers since Roe was overturned. Here's what it says. Texans making 4,000 mile round trip journeys for abortions, week long waits for appointments at clinics across the Midwest, desperate calls to abortion funds, asking for help with procedure costs, flights, and gas. 
one year after last summer's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is the new reality of abortion in the U.S. as thousands of people are unable to obtain abortions in their home states or nearby and tens of thousands more travel farther and farther to end their pregnancies. Now, they write that as this is the dire consequences of a court decision that, that you can't possibly obtain an abortion. Well, what is an abortion? It's ending your pregnancy. You, you see, I mean, I could, I could just camp out there. If, if someone has a miscarriage, we cry and weep with them. But if someone goes and ends their, their pregnancy on purpose— we're supposed to go, oh, congratulations on being so brave. A baby had its life ended, one in a natural sense through miscarriage and one through an intentional elective sense through abortion. It's, it's maddening. It's insanity is what we are seeing in our society, what we, are, what we are celebrating as a culture, as a secular culture, the things we celebrate are maddening, at times evil, but we're not giving resources and assisting these people in making the decisions that are going to allow them to be fruitful in their life. The article continues, new estimates provided exclusively to 538 uh, by WeCount, a national research project led by the Society of Family Planning, a nonprofit that supports research on abortion and contraception, indicate that there were 24,290 fewer legal abortions between July and March compared to pre-Dobbs baseline. These people might have remained pregnant or obtained an abortion outside the legal system, which would not be captured in WeCount's data. But the overall decline in abortions is just one part of the story. WeCount estimates, which were collected by contacting every abortion clinic in the, in the country multiple times over a period of 12 months, shows the Dobbs ruling has created intense turmoil for tens of thousands of Americans across the country. There were an estimated 93,575 fewer legal abortions in states that banned or severely restricted abortion for at least one week in the nine-month period after Dobbs. Now, we should be celebrating that. A, a, a sane society, a sane culture, a people that would see the world through a biblical worldview would say, praise God that 93,000 plus fewer abortions occurred. But instead, because we live in a broken society and a broken and fractured culture, a culture where the enemy is killing, stealing, and destroying, because we live in that context, we have articles that say, oh man, people weren't able to end the life of their child. The number of legal abortions in states where abortion remained mostly available did rise by 69,285 in the same period, signaling that many people did travel and successfully obtain an abortion within the U.S. healthcare system. But a significant number of people are trapped and can't get out of places like Texas. Listen to this. Listen to this. It's as if Texas is just, you know, handcuffing people. Last I checked, they didn't put a wall up around the border of Texas. Believe me. But you see, this is the type of language a secular lost culture is going to put out there. That people feel trapped. 
They feel trapped because they got pregnant and, and they don't want a baby. They feel trapped. It goes further. Caitlin Myers said this, but a significant number of people are trapped and can't get out of places like Texas. And she's a professor at economics at Middlebury College who studies abortion policy and reviewed the We Count data at 538's request. And she said further, and for the people who are traveling, we're talking about enormous, enormous distances. Some people are likely getting laid into the second trimester. With more bans on the horizon in big states like Florida and abortion clinics and funds struggling to keep up in, their, in other states, abortion access seems likely to erode further in the second year after Dobbs. We Count's monthly estimates show volatile, sometimes confusing shifts as the country reeled from the aftershocks of the decision. After a peak in June, likely caused by a rush of people trying to get appointments before the Supreme Court ruled, abortions fell throughout the autumn, only to rise again in December. After that, abortion numbers mostly continued to rise with monthly figures in March 2023, topping the high point from the previous June. It's possible, of course, that the uptick in March is just a blip, but some of these national shifts make sense from a seasonal perspective. People are more likely to get pregnant late in the year, which means that abortions tend to be more common in the late winter and early spring. That could be part of the reason the numbers rose in the first three months of 2023, although it doesn't explain the abrupt uptick in abortions in December, which runs counter to seasonal trends. Other factors could also be affecting the relative magnitude of the increase. Something as seemingly random as the timing of Thanksgiving, which fell relatively early last year, could have made it harder to get an appointment for an abortion in November because people were traveling for the holiday or clinics were closed. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, it, it again, I cannot stress this enough. We have progressed as a society where literally everything is at our fingertips. Everything. We have progressed as a society where there's government assistance, there's nonprofits, there's churches, there's, there's secular nonprofits, there's, there's all kinds of folks seeking and willing to help and step in and, and provide care and, and, and provide necessities for, for people. We have progressed to a place where we're not having to get up every day and work the land to put food on our table. We progress to a place where many of us sit at a desk every single day and look at a computer screen. We, we live in the best time in the history of the world in terms of our food quality, in terms of our water quality, in terms of our bank, bank accounts, in, in terms of all of that, there is no greater time to live. Yet, we're having less babies. Yet, we're having less marriages. We are the most educated in terms of college degrees, high school diplomas, than we've ever been as a society. It is easier now than ever to find assistance to go to secondary education. In the state of Tennessee, if you want to go to community college, you go. Doesn't cost you anything. Nothing. I know of businesses in Knoxville that will train you in a trade, own their dime, and then hire you at about 60 grand a month, a year, a month, that'd be nice, about 60 grand a year to work that trade. You won't have to pay a dime. 
Yet, if you listen to some of these folks, we're living in the dark ages. Why? What is their definition of dark ages? Is it because we have folks that are dying from, from basic, uh, you know, diseases that, that should be treated with penicillin or, or some other thing? No, it's not because of that. Are we living in the dark ages because we don't have water, running water in the home or, or plumbing or electricity? No, it's not because of that. We're living in the dark ages because they cannot end the life of their baby in their womb. That's what they consider dark ages. That is the progress they are seeking. To them, progress is ending the life of your child in your womb. Folks, that is not progress. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and that is what they are pushing. And that is why we are going to speak out against this nonsense and insanity every opportunity we get. We'll be back. As we continue today, look, all we try to do here every single week is to just point out some of the things that are, that are occurring around our country, in our culture. The, again, I want you to understand the language that's being used. I want you to understand the direction we're going in. So when people are saying, if Roe is overturned, we're going back to the Dark Ages, we're setting women back. That is literally what they said on June 25th of 2022. Fast forward to a year later, and they're now saying it is not a woman's issue. So apparently we set women back so far that we have now erased womanhood. But it's not conservative pro-lifers erasing womanhood. We celebrate and cherish womanhood. It is actually the abortion industry erasing womanhood. And, and now saying that it's not a woman's right, it, a women's rights issue. It, it's interesting to me that we have reached this place. That going back to the dark ages doesn't mean we are without paved roads or indoor plumbing or electricity or basic medications or access to health care. No, it's not that. The, the dark ages, we're, we're in a terrible place now all of a sudden because people can't have more access to, to ending the life of their child in the womb. That's insanity. But to, to look at this through the lens of where our culture is, I think it's important to now shift to uh, a recent article over at The Hill with some data, more data coming out of the CDC. And, and this is staggering. So, so as we're telling uh, a populace, you need to be able to have access to abortion in the life's of your children in the womb. As we're telling a populace, your womanhood doesn't matter, your manhood doesn't matter, marriage doesn't matter, we're erasing all identity. As you're telling a populace all these things and you're, you're adding on to that social media and, and depression and anxiety and lockdowns and school closures and, and all that's happening, and now we have access to literally everything. So if in the past, if something happened down your street, that affected you. But if something happened in another state, that may or may not affect you. Now, if something is happening around the globe, it affects your psyche because you're ingesting it because we have access to all the news all the time. Well, this piece at the Hill says the homicide rate for older teenagers in the U.S. and the suicide rate for those in their early 20s rose during the pandemic to its highest 
to the highest it has been in at least 20 years, according to research published last Thursday. A study, study published by the CDC analyzed homicide and suicide rates among those ages 10 to 24 in 20, or in 2000, through 2001 to 2021. The largest annual increase in homicide rates for those aged 15 to 19 was a 38% increase between 2019 and 2020. In 2020, the rate of homicide deaths among older teenagers was 12.3 per 100,000 a significant jump from the 8.9 per 100,000 rate in 2019 before the pandemic in 2021. Or before the pandemic. In 2021, which is the most recent data available, the rate of homicide deaths was 12.8 per 100,000 in the age group. A similar jump was seen when CDC researchers looked at suicide rates for people ages 20 to 24. The largest annual increase between 2001 and 2021 came in 2021 when suicide rates among those in their early 20s jumped 9% to 19.4 suicide deaths per 100,000. The researchers added that while suicide rates among that age group continually increased over the 20-year period, homicide rates among the same age group increased only between 2014 and 2020, remaining unchanged in 2021. In 2021, suicide and homicide were the second and third leading causes of death, respectively, for people ages 10 to 24, and among the top four leading causes of death for the individual age groups 10 to 14, 15 to 19, and 20 to 24. The researchers noted that suicide rates among those ages 10 to 14 and 20 to 24 exceeded the homicide rate for those age groups in 2021, the second year of the pandemic. From, 20, from 2001 to 2021, suicide rates in the U.S. jumped by about 36%, according to the CDC. In 2021, there were more than 48,000 suicide deaths among all ages throughout the United States. 48,000. So from 2001 to 2021, suicide rates in the U.S. jumped by about 36%. Now, what happened between 2001 and 2021? Smartphones, social media. Anxiety continues to creep up. Depression continues to creep up. What also happened was 9-11. That means a lot of young people went off to war, saw terrible things, came back with PTSD. So, so as we're seeing all of these things, again, the CDC, just looking at data, just like 538 earlier, just looking at data. They look at data and they find all the problems that we see through a biblical worldview. We say the answer to this is not erasing identity. The answer to this is not more abortion. The answer to this is not more social media. The answer to this is not more smartphones. The answer to this is not AI. The answer to this is not devaluing the family. The answer to this is not having less babies or, or having less people get married. No, that's not the answer. But you see, culture doesn't have an answer. Society doesn't have an answer. They can give you the data. The data points to, hey, hey, homes that have mom, dad, and children in the home, a nuclear family, do better. That's what the data shows. 
Doesn't mean that if you're a single parent, all is lost. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we want to look at data points, the chances that a child graduates high school goes up exponentially if there's a father in the home. Frankly, the chances of that kid graduating high school goes up if there's fathers living on their street. The chances that that kid goes to college goes up if there's a father in the home. The chances that that kid doesn't get addicted to drugs and alcohol go way down. Or if they don't get addicted, it goes way up if the dad is in the home. You see, having a family unit present changes everything. And, and the very same people that are, that are telling you that abortion is no longer a woman's issue, the very same people that are telling you that, that identity does not matter, the very same people that are telling you the answer is found in living your, your truth, those very same people, because we have the data to show, are living a traditional life at home with mom, dad, and children in the home. Those very same people, many of them, have their children in, in private school. They're sending their children to private colleges, private institutions. You see, but they don't want you to know that. They don't want you to know that because they want to push an agenda. The very same people that were back during the lockdown saying we got to close schools were finding ways to get their kids into school programs. The very same people that were telling you you can't go to this or that restaurant or you can't travel to this or that state were going to those restaurants and traveling to those states. Oh, but we can give the data. We can provide the data. Suicide rate jumps 39% from 2001 to 2021. So in 20 years, we saw a 39% increase in suicide. And we think the answer is erasing identity. We think the answer is more abortions. We think the answer is AI, having less babies, getting married less, we think that's the answer. But you see, that's what society does. That's where the church has to step in. Gospel people have to step in and say, no, the, the answer is a biblical worldview. The answer is a society and a government that acknowledges the fruits of the family unit. Husband, wife, children in the home. The answer is a society that recognizes the importance of dads in the home, dads in the community, leaders in the culture. The answer is not seeing how many more genders we can come up with. That's not the answer. Our young people, in every data point, in every study, every research that's been done, are screaming at us. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. 
I don't know who I am. I don't know my identity. I'm getting bullied at school. I'm getting bullied online. My parents are distant from me at home. I don't have a dad. I don't see my mom. I'm getting abused. I'm hungry. I'm not being fed. They are screaming at us. And what response are they getting? I'll just live your truth. Just Just be whatever you want to be. No, the only hope we're going to find is in the God of the universe. That's the message that we have. So when, when these young people are crying out for help, we do have a message. That you don't have to take this on by yourself. We'll be back. So we've finished up today. Look, you know, I know I talk a lot about data and, and CDC and, and 538 and, and all these things that are happening. The reason I want to bring that to your attention is we as gospel people, we as a church, there, there's a sense, and, and I'm saying this from experience, there's a, there are moments where I want to disengage. I want to throw in the towel. I want to say, I'm going to focus on the Wood kids, the Wood family, and to heck with everyone else. And, and I'm just cautioning you against that. And, and mainly I'm speaking to myself right now. When I look around, and now, now part of this is, I, I, this is what I do for a living, and, and so there's a sense of I, I, I need to know what's happening. And, and it can bring about a sense of urgency that some others may not see or, or feel because they aren't uh, ingesting all of this all the time. And, and so I have to make sure that I'm taking breaks from it and, and not allowing it to, uh, to ruin my psyche or, or, or bring down my morale. But what I try to do each week is bring to you attention bring to your attention some things that are happening and try to analyze that and say, why, why is this happening? Why are they trying to erase identity? Why in the world would have moved? Look, look I'm, not, uh, I'm not part of the abortion movement, but if I were a part of that movement, my question would be, why in the world, all of a sudden, after decades of this fight, are we now claiming this isn't a woman's issue? Why is that? If the pro-life movement came out tomorrow and said, this isn't about life at conception, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scream from the mountaintops, hey, hey, folks, hey, 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 why are we all of a sudden changing and acting as if this isn't about a baby in the womb? What, what are we doing? Why are we making this shift? And so I'm just letting you know, I'm pr- making a prediction, if we have debates coming up in the presidential election, if Joe Biden debates anyone, if he gets a chance to debate RFK or anybody else, or if Gavin Newsom finally throws his name in the hat because they ultimately want Biden gone, the shift has been made. So all these politicians that have been saying this is a woman's issue, Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, is going to be speaking, I believe, on June, 20, uh, June 24th to, uh, to mourn 
the Dobbs decision from last year. Will she say that this is a woman's issue or will she say, did she get the talking points that say this is a people's issue? That will she say that gender affirming care is reproductive care? Is that the direction that they're going? And I'm telling you, if they go that direction, they're not going to give any explainers. They're not going to sit down at a panel and go, well, this is how we came to this place. No, they're going to act as if they have said from the beginning that this is not a woman's issue. It's a people's issue. It's nonsense. It's insanity. But the reality is the bulk of our culture will just go right along with it. Oh, that's a great point. You make such a great valid point. And so we bring your attention to these things because it matters. The reason I spend time talking about the erasing of identity is because it matters. Because whose image do you bear? You bear the God of the universe's image. So when someone tries to erase your identity, they are offending God. When someone tries to extinguish heartbeats in the womb, they are offending God. When we look at data point after data point after data point that shows suicide rates are up in young people, depression is up in young people, anxiety is up in young people, homicides are up in young people. When we see these things and, and our young people seem to be crying out for help from us, I'm telling you, the answer isn't more of culture. The answer isn't going to be found in a lost society. The answer is going to be found in the God of the universe, in the gospel that says, cast your cares on me. Cast your, let me carry that burden for you. No wonder our young people are crying out for help because we're confusing them at every turn. And see, that isn't the answer. And, and I'll, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. The culture at times is good at pointing out the problems. They're good at saying we, the data shows we have a, a school issue, an educational issue. The data shows we have a fatherless issue. They're bad at finding the remedies to those. What the gospel is good at, what the church is good at, is finding the solution to those issues. Why do we have the hospitals, the vast majority of the hospitals in this country? Because gospel people said, we're going we're gonna to be the solution. We are the solution. Are we willing to step in and be that for a lost and dying society today? I pray we are. We'll talk to you next week.